0: My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Now, Farmer Gray, he is no denizen of the roadhouse. Oh sure, I'll sip a little homemade in my kitchen, for I have configured the ethanol into a wholesome restorative. But I'll keep no custom with inebriates frequenting the sawdust floors and whiskey haze of a tawdry honky-tonk. That said, well, this particular Saturday it was Rebels versus Tigers, the stalwarts of old Miss slamming helmets against the Memphis urban elite. And while I have thrilled to many sporting events via the AM dial, I perceive the need for a visual component to fully apprehend this epic contest. That is, I required a television set. Now, I've no such appliance of my own, for it is a licentious portable, a conduit to turpitudinous display, and I'll not throw wide the door to Satan. No, sir." But I learned through acquaintances who are, let's say, somewhat less Baptist than I, that Billy Deer's Tavern off Mississippi 3 would be running the game that night. So, unaccustomed though I am to such environs, come Saturday night I presented myself at said establishment. Pausing outside the dented-up pine door, I steeled myself, feeling sure Gomorrah lay within its... Air thick with sottish laughter and stale beer, but as I passed over the threshold, to my considerable surprise, this old farmer's steps echoed across an empty room. In fact, settling into a spindle-backed chair at a rickety table, I noted just one other patron, a stoop-shouldered fellow at the end of the bar, lifting a shot glass to his lips. "Is there no gridiron brawl tonight?" I queried the barkeep. "'Twixt those mighty giants, virtuous Mississippi, and decadent Tennessee?' "'Yes,' says he, the game will be startin'. "'Then where are the Magnolia State Loyals?' asked I. "'Are they not invested in such a clash?' "'Oh, they're watchin', says the barkeep. "'At home? Only people show up here as them's without a television. "'And can you imagine someone without a television? "'What kind of backward hillbilly doesn't have a set?' Uh, says i sure whatever so i sat nursing a dark brown ale and minding my own business just leave it says the stranger at the end of the bar as he grabs the neck of a bottle and stumbles off his stool i'll drink from the teat if you get my drift then he sloshes o'er the formica and approaches my table hope you don't mind says he his breath combustible Been traveling across this nation without much company. He coughed, and there was a wheezy rattle from his chest. Not that I'm so lonely, insists the fella, but sometimes, you know. Make yourself comfortable, friend, says I, motioning to the chair opposite mine, and he plunks himself down like a sack of cement. It was just then that I noticed something odd about this gentleman. His head, well... I can only describe it as round. The scraggly hair and shaggy beard near hit it, but that noggin, it was well nigh a basketball. Name's Farmer Gray, says I, extending a hand. He proffered his own mitt, but his grip was weak, denoting what? Failed trust? Poor fellowship? I couldn't say. And how are you called, sir, asked I. I'm... "'Well, I'm known by several monikers,' says the stranger. "'Sometimes Chuck, sometimes Charles. "'But often enough, well, most of the time, I'm just Charlie.' "'Pleased to meet you, Charlie,' says I. "'You say you've been traveling?' "'Wandering, traveling, maybe just running,' says he. "'Though I can't rightly say where.' "'Every man must have a destination,' says I.' maybe says charlie but what if he never arrives even if he never arrives says i even if it's just a dream dreams mutters charlie i know all about dreams had them since i was a boy not for wealth or power just simple wholesome dreams to fly a kite to pitch a strike to kick a football "'to get a single card on Valentine's Day "'or a peck on the cheek from a certain red-haired gal. "'Those are modest aspirations,' says I. "'And did they come to fruition?' "'Not one,' says Charlie, his voice bitter as my ale. "'Every time I tried to fly that kite, "'it got caught in a tree. "'The same tree every time. "'I'd walk half a mile away, "'walk till my feet bled before I flew that kite, "'but it didn't matter.' somehow as if ordained by god himself paper wood and string would become entangled in its branches sometimes even i'd become tangled trussed up in that string and hanging upside down from that monstrous growth did anyone think to extricate me no sir they'd see me dangling there blood running to my head consciousness fading and what would they do make some stupid joke and walk away "'It's a wonder I'm alive. "'It's a wonder I'm alive. "'And don't even think to mention those baseball games. "'Every pitch I threw, the batter'd hit the ball so hard "'I'd get clobbered with it, spinning upside down so violently "'that my shirt, shoes, and socks would blow off. "'Can you imagine? Stripped on the pitcher's mound? "'It's like they were trying to hit me.' "'I wrinkled my brow in consternation.' "'But it couldn't have been so bad,' says I, "'hoping to coax the stranger from his melancholy. "'Don't forget the small kindnesses, "'the diminutive presentiments of decency "'that brighten even the greatest morosity.' "'Like Halloween,' he spat. "'You mean like Halloween?' "'Sure,' says I. A joyous night of sweets and treats "'as neighbors minister to uns "'with handfuls of candy.' "'Think so?' growls Charlie.' Then what about all the decent people who'd give a small child nothing but rocks, who'd dispense candy bars and gums and apples to the other trick-or-treaters, but make it a point, each and every one of them, to dump a big fat stone right in his bag? Is that the diminutive presentiment you tout? Well, I, Farmer Gray, was dumbfounded. I've never heard of such coordinated cruelty, admits I." Charlie takes a pull of 80 proof and says, "'I hauled that bag of rocks all night, "'dragging that burden behind me "'till my arms near left their sockets. "'I'll keep it forever,' vowed I, "'shoving the bag in my closet, "'as a testament to the evil that is this town. "'I believe it lies there still. "'What about friends?' says I. "'Had you no comrades to ameliorate your despondency?' "'I had a dog,' says Charlie.' "'but he was cold to me, disdainful, It's so popular with the other children. "'Come Valentine's Day, my mailbox was empty, while he received dozens of cards. "'Can you imagine? Dozens! For a beagle! "'The day he fell off his doghouse and broke his neck, I rejoiced. "'No, my only friend, if you can call him that.' was a neighborhood boy who spouted gospel and carried a filthy blanket like some sort of fetish or talisman. And frankly, the only reason he spent his youth with me was because he was nearly as outcast as I. I sensed no true affection. "'Dear fellow,' says I, now almost as doleful as he, "'there is still one who is your friend. His name starts with a J, ends with an S, and has ESU in the middle. That's Jesus, and you can trust in him. Trust cries Charlie, let me tell you about trust. There was this girl, see sister to that sanctimonious blanket-toting nutcase, and every year come fall, I'd find out in front of my I'd find her out in front of my house, kneeling and balancing a football on the sidewalk with her index finger. Her promise that she'd hold that football steady as I ran up to kick it. Got that. She'd hold it, I'd kick it. What could be simpler or more welcome? And yet what would happen? Sure as the earth rounds the sun, I'd run with all my might and all my hope and all my heart straight at that football and she'd pull it away, pull it right away. And me, I'd go flying into the air and land on the hard cement. Trust me, she'd say each time. Trust me, I won't pull it away this time. I'll hold that ball. This year you'll kick it. All you have to do is trust. She must have played that trick a dozen times. When I was 18, I was diagnosed with traumatic brain disorder. What have you been doing? asked the radiologist. Knocking your head against a wall or something? I was declared unfit for college on account of it. So it's been odd jobs ever since. Charlie took a deep swallow from the bottle, a large gulp followed by that rattling cough. I confronted her about it a month ago, in a fourth-floor walk-up in Cleveland. She shacked up and got a two-year-old—her life, I guess. I showed up drunk and banged on the door. "'Why'd you do it?' I cried. "'Why'd you pull the ball away every time?' She opened the door but kept the chain on, so all I could see was her face through the crack. "'You want to know why?' says she. "'Yes,' returns I, her features a bourbon blur. "'I've traveled hundreds of miles just to ask why, "'and I was near to crying. "'Maybe I was crying, I, I can't rightly remember, "'but I recall her reply well enough. "'Then here's the answer,' says she, her tone pure venom. "'I did it cause you're a loser. "'You were born a loser and you'll die a loser, "'and I hated you for it. "'I still do.' "'Oh, dear listeners, how I longed to mitigate Charlie's anguish "'as a hemelech-suckered David at Nob. "'But before I could condole with even the merest of sentiments, "'the spheroid noggin bowed as if beneath an insupportable weight. "'Then he continued. "'Your brother,' I says to her, "'he did not scorn me. "'And she says, she says to me, "'My brother, my brother, ha!' "'And she was gleeful in her delivery.' "'Guess what? Next Sunday, my brother will be marrying "'that little red-haired gal you craved these many years, "'and you can bet he'll be getting more than a peck on the cheek from her.'" Then she cackled and slammed the door, but not before crying. "'So long, blockhead.'" At that moment, something snapped, snapped like a kite string in a hurricane, fuzzled my brain and sent me on a journey back home, I can't much recollect it. I just know there were miles traveled, ending in a packed church in an act that guaranteed no wedding would occur. Not that day, not any day. When at last I came back to myself, I was in a gas station bathroom, washing blood off my hands, or trying to. The stranger took one last swig of whiskey, emptying the bottle, and then staggered to his feet. "'Guess I've bent your ear long enough,' says he, "'and it's time I moved on, "'back to wandering or running. "'I no longer know which. "'And with that, the unfortunate Charlie was out the door. "'Like I said, folks, every man must have a destination, "'and I'd no doubt that his was a table in a small white room, "'straps holding firm as lethal chemicals were pumped into his arm.' But I'd no stomach to turn him in, law abiding citizen though I am. No, I left his fate to time and his own poor luck. Besides, there was a football broadcast on the television set, and I am loyal to old Miss. Good grief, I am. The country is at war, ladies and gentlemen. War! But I speak not of hostilities against the Taliban or the coronavirus, fearful adversaries though they might be. No, I refer to aggression against a leaf, a leaf known as tobacco. Nearly 50 years ago, an otherwise honorable president, one Richard M. Nixon, signed legislation that swept cigarette ads from television and radio. But he did not ban did not ban advertisements against cigarettes. Now, please understand, today's Jeremiah has nothing to do with my recently sown Mississippi heirloom tobacco crop. No, sir. It's all to do with my ingenerate sense of decency. To proscribe a fine enterprise like Philip Morris from hawking their wares, but to sanctify the condemnation of smoking by an anti-tobacco hunter, well, that's like ingress to the squared circle with one fin tied abaft. Why, folks, the tobacco companies have even been impelled, through unwarranted federal intervention, to appeal for the abrogation of smoking. Can you imagine... Might as well force the Hebrew race to come out against money lending again. My disputation is not founded upon avarice, despite the handsome price one might obtain for an increased demand for Nicotiana tobacco. No, I advocate only for equitable representation that a beleaguered industry might have its say. So here's my proposition if the socialist elements in their aversion to free enterprise, remain adamant in their condemnation of tobacco, might their admonitions at least be more even-handed? To wit, what if their gloomy presentiments were tempered by somewhat cheerier expositions? For instance, you could, as they do now, show some fellow lying in a bed with a tube in his neck, remonstrating against the demon tobacco. Oh, he'd say, the cigarettes have laid me low. But then, just to show how impartial they are, how liberal, these nicotine-hating gadflies could have some chipper-looking gent sidle into the frame and say, funny, because I've been smoking three packs a day for 30 years, and I feel pretty good. Then he points his finger at the camera and says, might work out for you, too. You don't know. Or there's this doctor, see, looking at an X-ray, and he says, I can't operate on this tobacco, Maven. His malignancy is too advanced. But then he turns to the audience and says, Not like that guy yesterday. His operation went just fine. And when a second later, a man walks in and says, Hey, Doc, you think smoking will land me on the table? The sawbones will say, What do I look like, a fortune teller? get out of here. See what I mean? Fair and balanced, like Fox News, but with tobacco. Just a few thoughts, friends, from a man who's planted 200 acres of the stuff. Yes, sir. Play me out, Zeke. (laughs)